wanted to start this podcast to share hunting stories of my experiences and what I've done over the years. There's so much more that is involved in hunting than just pulling the trigger and killing an animal. We want to be inspirational, educational, but we also want to have a good time and teach you how to have a good time as well. And on this episode, I'm going to continue my talk with Charity Wanachek from Ghost Town Metalworks and Ghost Town Fine Jewelry. So this will tie in perfectly with me telling you why my bow was in at the local shop. I dry fired my bow. Me being like a science person and like lab safety and all of the things for like working at a veterinary hospital, you're just ingrained with like safety stuff. And then me being a metalsmith, I work around dangerous stuff constantly. So we have sharp stuff, we have heavy stuff, we have bludgeony stuff, we have fire, we have <laughs> tanks of compressed gases. Yeah, I was out there with my six-year-old and I got distracted between him and the wildflowers, not even joking. And legit was just like so happy and I just shot like an amazing group at like 30 yards and I'm like, yeah. And then, tink. Welcome to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Now for your host, Stephen Robbins. All right, guys and gals, welcome back to another episode of Hunting Day. And on this episode, I'm going to continue my talk with Charity Wanachek from Ghost Town Metalworks and Ghost Town Found Jewelry. And we're going to start the conversation about a bag that we're working to develop here at Hunting Day. So it's really cool that you talk about the backpack because when we did that West Texas hunt, um, I'm, I am not a researcher and it drives April absolutely crazy. She's the researcher, right? And we clash, not necessarily in a bad way. Like I'm the let's go do it. And she's the well, let me figure out how we're going to go do it. And, uh, so we work really well, like at times, you know, we might, you know, have disagreements, but we work really well together in that regard. And, uh, when I did this, uh, backpack, um, all dad hunt and like we were camping, we had a base camp and, uh, um, my buddy chance went with us and Ted went with us and chance already had a really nice backpack, but you know, the most, I carried in a backpack was my camera gear and my tree arm and then, you know, uh, a few game calls. And that was really it. That was what I took to the tree stand. So it wasn't like, all right, I need to be prepared to go walk, you know, 10 miles a day and, you know, carry everything in that I need and to be able to glass to video and, you know, have enough water for hydration. So I'm like, Ted, what, what backpack are you buying? And he's like, I don't know which one you buying. I'm like, uh, I did a post on Facebook and a lot of people recommended some really good backpacks. And I'm like, I don't want to spend $700 on a backpack. And he's like, I don't either. I'm like, crap. <laughs> like, and he has a TV show. Dan sport it is. Yeah. Well, so he has a TV show <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, uh, won't you see if somebody will sponsor, like get, you know, use your TV show magic and get sponsored by somebody real quick and let's, you know, get to, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, you got a week. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so we like, <laughs> so we went cheap. We like 130 bucks on a tide. We, you know, I think it was I like, already feel rubbing and blisters from the story. <laughs> All right. And so Austin was like, that's a terrible choice after we bought it, you know, and which he even recommended the Badlands and that same thing. I'm like, man, I really don't want to spend $400 on this. Like, I don't know how often I'm going to use this backpack. And that was what it really ultimately came down to. Like, if I was going to use this a lot, I would have spent the money. No, looking back, I wish I would have spent the money. I'm not knocking the Tidewee backpack. It serves a purpose, just not the purpose that I wanted it for because you know, I guarantee you 
I wish we would have weighed it, but I guarantee you it was close to 50 pounds in that pack between all the water, mm. the camera gear, the, yep. the spotting scopes, and everything that we needed. And that was just my backpack. And Ted did the same thing. And, you know, Chance and yep. Austin, we, we joked. It's like you could put both of theirs in our backpacks. And it was, you know, day one, I don't want to say it was ignorance because Austin told us, he's like, you don't need all of that. But we felt that we did. And so day two, we were a lot lighter. I mean, a lot lighter, basically water and a few things for the cameras because we were taking stuff like solar battery chargers and like all you know like just in case the battery you know <laughs> well yeah and depending on what you're doing you know those things are can be very necessary and can be a good choice but it's literally situation dependent yeah right? and, and our situation you know we were almost prepared to sleep there overnight and we weren't doing that i mean granted you're if just we, doing day hikes yeah so <laughs> you know we were going back to base camp every evening i mean we were getting in well you know the first evening we got in it was like almost 10 o'clock at night and, uh, so we, you know, it, we did a lot of walking day one. And so day two, we're like, you know what, we didn't really stay put long enough to break out that solar charger to be effective anyway. So, okay, that's staying. Uh, all right. Um, we don't need a backup camera that's staying. We don't need backup GoPros. Those are staying. Okay. We don't need 15 batteries. You know, we got enough battery life to, you know, in four batteries. So we, we really like mm -hmm. rationed what we were doing. But because of that, it got me thinking. I, I'm an entrepreneur by by heart, and uh, you know, I'm, I, I know people can't see it, but I'm repping the new HD fishing line. I right see now. that looks good. And uh, yeah, I saw those shirts. I appreciate <laughs> that. We uh, April actually did all of our designs. Um, she's good job, April. she's amazing when it comes to art, and like she's she's an artist. And uh, when you said you had a art gallery, I'm thinking like you and April were going to hit it off amazingly because she, yeah, we will yeah. have to go, go hunt her down on the social media. after Yeah. This. <laughs> um, but so it got me thinking, I'm like, there's got to be a backpack, not saying that any of the ones I looked at weren't, you know, good enough, but so this backpack that you can barely see that's in frame that I use to keep I my, see a little bit of it. I use it to <laughs> that's keep your weight back. It's my weight back for my for arm boom. <laughs> and, uh, for my microphone boom there. And, uh, I've been, I've done a lot of design to get that bag where it's at. And so this is my prototype and, uh, oh, cool. yeah, so we're going to see how it holds up. I, I turkey hunted with it. I put a lot of miles in it uh, on it, um, turkey hunting and, uh, we're going to see how this season fares. And if, uh, if it does well, we are going to, um, go after uh, an American manufacturer to manufacture these in the States. Awesome. So it's kind of a, you know, one of the many things that we're doing on, uh, if, uh, our followers are following us on social media, we just launched a coffee line, you know, the hunting day coffee company. And, uh, we got through, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. We're really excited about that. That has been a long time coming cool. and we've had multiple setbacks for that. And so to see it come to fruition, it's, it's exciting. And, Actually, uh, you know, uh, this will uh, coffee will be available before this airs. So we're eight days away from having coffee in hand. So that's exciting and uh, cool. Yeah, but uh, congratulations! So, thank you. Um, so hopefully, you know, this time next year, um, and and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. We'll go back to the drawing board and we'll figure it out. But we're gonna we're hoping to have the hunting day uh, gear line launching early summer next year so people can be getting ready for their uh 
their hunting adventure. So we'll, we'll see. Fingers crossed. We'll see how this goes. And uh, yeah, this is a prototype right here. And uh, no one. That's so cool. Well, and you start small, right? Yeah. And it's literally going to be the hunting day pack. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, um, no, that's awesome. No, I have the entrepreneur bug too. Like I, I also had a, a clothing line. I started for a while that I'd put a pin in it literally because <laughs> I couldn't find the right American manufacturers. And that's where, um, I talked to Drea of Ridge Patrol at length about it because yeah. that is a hard thing to find people that know what they're doing and then you have to work that into your baseline price. And the fact is, is that I can't knock people and companies that decide to outsource because I understand, you know, your profit is substantial. Your margins are much better. There's no arguing that. What we do argue is that it is removing stability from our own economy yes. and is removing jobs from our own economy. And so if you want to play, you want to stay in the game and you want to make things reasonably priced, a lot of people I think get in the wrong mindset where they think they have to match or be equal to the pricing for the people that are outsourcing. No, you no. don't. Because the biggest thing is that if you are legit American made and you're trying to source your fabric from America, just like origin does for their jeans, Absolutely. right? Tell people, let them know that's part of your marketing. And when that's part of your marketing, people don't mind paying a little bit more because now they understand. Yep. Um, I won't name names of other brands that outsource because I'm not here to do that because I'm supportive of business in general. But um, I mean, when you look at their margins, there are plenty of companies that started out at least in Canada. Yeah. And then they outsourced. Their prices didn't get better because they outsourced. So they just wanted wider margins. And mm -hmm. as far as being a successful business, like, good job, you did it. But at the same time, we have to look at the downstream effects of what that does to our economy. And like, that's what I tell people. Well, don't complain about the price. If it's something that you really want, you believe in the company and you truly want to support American made Yeah. budget for it, save up for it. And, you know, so many, um, I'm not condoning, you know, payments or whatever, because we know that America is like credit card debt heavy already, but you know, there are some of those shop later options that will let you do it in like four installments or something like that. So it's not like you're going to be paying on this super expensive bag for like 10 years or yeah. something crazy, you know? And it's like the interest fees, some of them offer no interest, you know? Yeah. So it's like, you're legit just splitting up your order. And so when you think of it that way, if you're someone that has a hard time with budgeting, allow that to be your budget. And then you can be proud that you supported an American company that went out of their way to find American employees. And then they're paying those employees and they're putting food on American family tables. And that money is staying in America. <laughs> I just, I can't, in, I can't endorse it enough. And I mean, I won't say, uh, you know, that I never buy stuff that isn't, you know, out source because there's certain things that I haven't found a better option. Maybe it's just not an option. And like I was telling you, like I've searched high and low as far as women hunting clothes go. Dre is the only one. And that's why when I heard her on your podcast, I literally had put that out there as like anybody, can anyone tell me if there is a hunt, like hunting clothing company that is for women specifically that's made in the States crickets. Yeah. And it's like, I have, you know, as far as like people that I've interacted with and networked with through Instagram on that secondary account on the ghost town, find jewelry account. I mean, there's a substantial amount of outdoorsy people in there and no, nobody spoke up. Yeah. And that's when I heard Drea, you know, on your podcast. And I was like, dude, what? So I go and look her up and like, sure enough, 
made in the States. So that's what I was like, heck yeah. I like ordered a hoodie, ordered pants. Um, and I'm going to get some more stuff from her too, but like you got to start somewhere yeah. and uh, those little businesses can't get off the ground if you don't support them, you know, and we're all a little choppy when we first start out. My, my business is definitely choppy when we first start out and Dre is doing a really, really good job. Um, I'm very impressed with the stuff that I got in the mail and how it fits. It fits great. And so um, it feels good and I know it's going to perform well. And I told her um, I might actually wear it to tack one of the days just so, just so you can I can get see a how feel. it performs. Yeah. Yeah. And I talked to Kurt about that. And I've talked to a couple other people about that because I, I get conflicting information as far as tack goes. Some people are like, oh, yeah, don't pack heavy. You're going to be walking really far. And I'm thinking – this is training. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm going to be packing heavy and walking really far in like a month. So, to, and be carrying my bow. Don't you think that's a good excuse to practice that now Yeah. on I a mean... course that's like six to 10 miles long? Doesn't that make sense? So I'm taking my Kafaru pack. And then one of the days I think I am going to wear Drea stuff because I want to make sure it it's comfortable. It feels comfortable now, but until you're in something for 10 miles with a pack on and you're shooting in it, I mean, you know, you got to yeah. make choices. So, um, uh, I want to, and she's someone that's open to feedback too. So if something was uncomfortable, I know she'd want to hear about it because she cares about her business and she wants to have the best quality clothes out there. Right. Yeah. And uh, I'm good with constructive criticism, uh, just because me being a business owner, like I appreciate constructive criticism too. You know, that's how you grow your business and keep a good quality product. But so that's the other tip for training is if you can do tack, if you're somewhere that has a total archery challenge, um, do it, wear your gear, load your bag up, um, for wrecking on my treadmill. And a couple of times out here, cause we live close to the mountains. I've literally put 15 pounds worth of plates in there on top of throwing all my extra crap in my bags and try to weigh it down. I got my rock hammer on there cause rock nerd, right? So I got a rock hammer on there and it's not a small one. <laughs> and I shoved my hammock in the bottom just to spite urine. <laughs> 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 they all that stupid thing everywhere. I got a climate hammock. I'm like, it's for backpacking. The hooks weigh like 10 pounds, but who cares? Yeah. The, the, ba- the hammock itself is lightweight. <laughs> the straps and the hooks are super heavy, but that's okay. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to get five miles in there and be really tired and want to string up a hammock between two aspens. Like that's my choice. Yeah. <laughs> want to be comfortable. <laughs> hiking sticks are also really important. Yes. Um, I used to make fun of people with hiking sticks when I first started getting into the outdoor scene, you know, 15, oh gosh, almost 20 years ago, actually. And I didn't understand them. That's more of why I made fun of them. I'm like, they're for old people. And now I'm 38. My knees are crunchy on the inside and all that. <laughs> but like they <laughs> they do make uh, up and down. Like if you're dealing with elevation, I cannot recommend it more than enough. And it's actually a hazard. If you have a loaded pack that's like 40 pounds or more, you legit need to have good quality hiking sticks. Yeah sissy sticks, whatever you want to call them, um, because they will save you. You could be trying to climb up all of a sudden up on a big step on a boulder and you could lose. I mean, that pack's going to pull you off balance. You know, they, you really do need them. And then we live in rattlesnake country certain times of the year. So that's just yet another tool to, yeah. I would rather have a stick than no stick. If there's a rattlesnake on the trail, just saying. 100% agree with that uh, on all accounts, because even out there in West Texas, you know, on that loose rock, that shell, um, it lifesaver having walking sticks and, you know, if you need to poke a rattlesnake between the eyes with one, it's good to have it versus not having it. So, yeah. And it's a distraction. If it wants to strike, I mean, you can hold that stick out and it's going to go at what's moving. Right. Yeah. So 
it can just might be able to buy you just enough time to get a little more space between yourself and an angry snake. <laughs> so they're good. Um, as far as gear that I need to, I need to get that I don't have yet. If this is helpful to anyone else um, and talked about this with my husband, I've talked about this with other hunters I've connected with. And I talked about this with Kurt on one of our last things too. Um, we have a range finder. He said with the kind of hunting that we're doing, he's like, you really need one that does diagonals. Um, and Aaron's a gear nerd. So he's like, oh, I know I've had this range fighter for like 10 years. And like the diagonals was like, not a thing back 10 years ago, you know? Yeah. And so he's been wanting a new range finder and I've been like poo-pooing it. Cause like I told you, I'm a kind of a turd about like using things until they're dead. But, um, I was like, okay, fine. And then I was talking to, um, Rob who he runs the hunts for hunts for the brave, okay. um, Instagram account. He's a super good dude. Um, and I'll be, Hopefully uh, I have a, a piece in the mix for uh, an auction item for them coming up. That's elk ivory, but um, Rob's really great. And he goes, you know, one thing I learned is that two is one and one is none. Cause I was telling him about the rangefinder thing. And yeah. he goes, so always take two. Like if you're going back in the back country and you're legit going to be out there for days, you know, you, you can wear the the poopy rangefinder that's old and then Aaron can get the newer one. Cause he's me your spotter anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's true. So we need a rangefinder. I also have a, a Badlands um, binocular harness that I've had for almost 10 years. Not my favorite. Yeah. Um, I'm short and it's like mostly elastic except for like the back part. And so it literally, no matter how much I tighten it up, my binoculars hit me in the knees when I'm hiking. And no, it okay. just drives me up the wall. Oh, yeah, that would be uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And I also, I carry, uh, I have a, I have a SIG that I carry in a chest holster, um, that I really, really like my chest rig, but, uh, I'll have to rethink things if I'm getting a legit vinyl harness, but you can only have so many things like in front, you know, it's so, like you have your, your pistol, you got your binocular harness and it's all like clacking together. And then it's like hitting you in the knees and you're trying to go up a hill. That's like crazy steep. And, um, <laughs> you also got your hiking poles and you're just like, uh, everything's going to hear us coming. Yeah. But um, so bino harness and range finder are kind of like my, my main focuses right now. Um, Aaron surprised me with a new pair of binoculars. I did have vortex ones that were lower power that vortex makes super good optics, right? As yeah. you know. Um, and, uh, but the ones that I have are like almost 10 years old. They're mm -hmm. pretty close to 10 years old and they were kind of their lower level ones. So they're great for like bird watching. Yeah. And some other things like that. Um, I love them and I've used the crap out of them. Um, but Aaron just bought me a pair of Mavens that are 10 by 42s. Um, and I can like creep on the neighbors like three streets over now. <laughs> That's awesome. Just not, just, not for your neighbors. Just kidding, but... <laughs> everyone. <laughs> but it's, uh, it is good. I mean, it was an upgrade that needed to happen regardless of what brand he landed on. I did need to have like a more powerful binocular. Um it's but, kind of uh, back to that. That's what that's what we landed on for that. Yeah, it's like back going back I to the vortex. to the bow. You know, like what fits you and what works best for you. It shouldn't be brand yes. specific. It should be 
purpose driven and you know what purpose am i going to yeah. use this for so no it's awesome i mean i love vortex everybody knows i've had them on the podcast in the past but you know i've i've got some i've got varying optics i've got a lot of leupold scopes and you know it's not again not brand specific it's what am i using this gun for or you know i actually the very first pair of binoculars i ever owned was a uh, an old pair of simmons binoculars and i mean that's like I don't want to say they're cheap, but uh, they were cheap when I bought them. <laughs> and, uh, so, <laughs> but it was yeah, sometimes, I don't know, you get lucky and you strike out and then some of the times the more budget friendly thing ends up being super well made and lasts for a long yeah, time. Yeah. So that's awesome. So you got to get a, a, a new bino set up or bino harness set up and, you know, to kind of add back to what you were saying though, as far as having all that out front, you know, if you're going to be carrying with your chest rig, I have a, I believe it's called Kanai holster like chest holster and that's what i carry my 45 mm -hmm. on and it's you know it's almost borderline too much when i throw my bino harness on the front as well especially for shooting mm -hmm. but <clears throat> shooting a bow because you got to think clearance you know as far as once you yes. draw back and you know so that's all and that's all, very true it all comes into play like what you know, for a gun, no problem, but for shooting a bow, you, you know, so yeah, definitely like when you, when you're searching that out and everything, you know, see if it's something that you can try on or if you do purchase it, what's the return, you know, because it may not fit already, yes. you know, so just some, some things to consider and think about, but yeah, like. True. I, I don't know how much tree stand hunting you do or, or will do, um, but like nah, none around here local anyway maybe if we end up drawing out of state tree stand hunting is not really a thing in nevada gotta have more trees <laughs> I, i've been uh I've, I've been a victim to this um you know when you're caught up in the moment you're focused on what you're hunting and not your, necessarily your immediate surroundings and mm -hmm. i've had my lower cam hit the uh, rail of the tree stand, you know, if I was in my climber and Ooh. the first thing you did, like as soon as you release, it hits, it makes a really loud sound. You think you just destroyed your bow and the arrow will go, you know, it's five feet, 10, 10 or five to 10 yards in front of you sticking in the ground. And you're like, Oh wow. Oh man. Um, April did it to one of her bows. We were hunting Sika deer, Sika uh, deer, on the eastern shore of Maryland and they've got a free range herd over there and we were hunting them and she hit the ladder stand, the rail around the ladder stand and it took a chunk out of her cam and we're like, Oh no, this is like bad deal. So thankfully Bowtech was awesome about everything and replaced the cam for us. But it was, uh, wow. yeah. So it's, you know, when you're, when you're caught up in the moment, especially that, you know, if you're out there and you've, you know, you've put in miles and when it comes to the moment of truth, the last thing you want to have to worry about is if something on your person is going to get in the way of shooting. So just be yes. mindful of that. So this will tie in perfectly with me telling you why my bow was in at the local shop. <laughs> <laughs> Told you we were going to talk about it. Um, I didn't even mention this anywhere on social media because I wanted to like bury it deep down inside my person and not ever talk about it again, but we're going to talk about it now. There we go. So, um, so I dry fired my bow like oh, three weeks ago. It happens. Yes. Well, and that's what I've been told. But uh, me being like a science person and like lab safety and, 
you know, all of the things for like working at a veterinary hospital, like you're just ingrained with like safety stuff. And the me being a metalsmith, like I work around dangerous stuff constantly. A lot of things in my shop are very dangerous. That's why my, my kids aren't even allowed in there. So we have sharp stuff. We have heavy stuff. We have bludgeoning stuff. We have fire. We <laughs> have tanks of compressed gases, you know, that are flammable. But um, yeah, I was out there with my six-year-old and I got distracted between him and the wildflowers. Not even joking. And legit was just like so happy. And I just shot like an amazing group at like 30 yards. And I'm like, yeah. And then, tink. Oh, and it made a boom sound. Yeah. One of the good things is that um, I have not had my bow poundage turned up. I got my bow in March and um, I did not prep. I never really shot a bow. I shot like uh, Nevada Department of Wildlife had like a little mini outdoor expo here in Elko. And I went and volunteered there. And like one of the kids things was like kids bows set up. I shot one of those bows. Yeah. Did great. But like, that's the only bow I've ever shot, right? <laughs> Before going into the, the bow rack. And so Wayne, uh, I mean, I thought I was doing good because I've been doing CrossFit for like a, a you know month and a half on Natalie's app. So I was like, this will be fine. I'm yeah. going to go in there and like pull like 40 or 50 pounds, right? Wayne had to keep turning out the poundage. And I finally told him, I'm like, stop telling me what you're turning it to. Just take it away. Do what needs to be done yeah. and hand it back to me. I don't need to hear numbers. <laughs> <laughs> So I have been pretty darn good about practicing every day or nearly every day. So I had done a lot of practice. So luckily when that happened, my poundage was super low. Yeah. It did not ruin anything on my bow. Uh, pieces of shrapnel did not go into people's faces. <laughs> like I was fine. My kiddo was fine. The bow had the string that popped off. Um, it definitely made noise. And that's when I made the face like schnitzel. <laughs> this is not good. Did I just do what I just did? I was so embarrassed. Um, so I took it into the local bow shop here, which I hadn't had much experience with. And they, they were really, really nice about it. Um, and of course, anyone that walked in the room, I'm like, I dry fired my bow. Like, I'm just super <laughs> embarrassed. And like, you know, and of course, it looks like a kid's bow. They probably would have thought it was my little guy's bow if I didn't say anything. But yeah. of course, like very strong moral compass. I must tell you what I did wrong. Right. They go, oh, it happens to everyone. If someone hasn't done it yet, it just means their day is coming. I'm like, okay, really? Like, are you just saying this to feel better? No. The bow tech shows me his arm is scarred up. And he goes, my first bow hunt out, um, I I saw the deer and I got so excited. I forgot to knock my arrow. And his bow did explode. Mm -hmm. And that's why he got shrapnel up his arm. Yeah. And then the other guy that was there working that fixed my bow goes, let me show you something. And he pulls his Instagram account up and scrolls down a ways. And he shows me a video of him. I I don't know if they were out target hunting or what they're doing, but they were out in the boonies somewhere. And they show him pulling his bow back. He lets go and the whole thing explodes. He had a Nalgene bottle kind of hanging like down his side a little bit. When he released the bow, somehow the string made contact with part of the Nalgene bottle. Yeah. And it made the bow implode. And it, it sent pieces everywhere. Oh, yeah. And they caught it on film. And so that was the first time that I had the reality check of like, oh, okay. So more than just being an idiot and literally not putting an arrow on your bow, which is apparently a thing because you're so distracted in ADD, which is terrifying. Um, you can accidentally hit it on something, which is like your tree stand, right? Yeah. Or like your wife hitting it on a rock or whatever happened to her. And so that is something to consider, you know, clearance. Um, 
that's something that I'm really grateful to go through the, the tack, um, the two different tack courses. Um, Clint said we're shooting with a group that he's been shooting with every year. And Clint's been shooting, I think he said like five years he's been into archery. Um, so I'm really grateful for that because I know I'm just going to be immersed in a group of people that I'm just going to, I just want to learn. I just want to be there to learn. Right. And if I'm going to do something kind of stupid or almost do something stupid, I'd almost rather it be with people that are like, ah, that this is why you don't do that. Or, you know, <laughs> let me help you. And, um, you know, it'll be like a learning friendly environment. And that's what I am doing it for is for learning and experience. And I just hope to soak up some wisdom when I'm hanging around people that have been, you know, shooting bows for a while and I've gone on plenty of hunts. So, um, but that'll be a really good chance for me to see, like I'm actually wearing my pack yeah. and got, you know, my gear and everything, it's really good to see what the interactions are because I know if I got all that stuff on, I mean, whoever we're shooting with those guys are gonna be like, hold on before you take this shot. Like you're going to want to, you know, pull this. I'm not just going to tell him when you get there. I'm like, I'm the new kid in class. My IQ for archery is very low. Literally help me. <laughs> however you can. <laughs> I will not be offended at all. If you just go charity, stop. <laughs> Yeah, no, and honestly, being a beginner to archery is not a disadvantage, especially in today's technology age, because, you know, people like Clint, who's going to be there and and work with you and and help you, um, and your husband, same thing, helping you and working with you, you haven't learned bad habits, and people like me, who didn't have you know, I love my dad, but he, he wasn't a very good archery hunter. I mean, he archery hunted and he killed deer, but you know, he was, he never took a shot past 30 yards, you know, that type of thing. And, um, you know, growing up, I I was right-handed. So I shot right-handed and then come find out I'm left eye dominant. And now I shoot a bow left-handed and I shoot amazing. You know, I shoot good. I don't shoot great, but you know, I shot good with my right hand as well as using my right eye. But there are things that there were habits that I picked up along the way that I had to unlearn and then learn mm-hmm. the right way. And so I think that's an advantage to you as you're coming in. One, you have a passion for it and you're excited about it. So you're absorbing everything. And like you said, you're, you're a researcher. So the, the ability to have a mentor or multiple mentors in this scenario to show you like the, this is how you do it correctly. I think you're, you're coming in your, the way that you're doing, it's really good. And so use that to your advantage. Oh, <laughs> Try to be as well-rounded as possible. Yeah. You know, it's a good way to be. Yeah. I like to be prepared for all the, the possible situations and I don't know. Yeah. I'm a big like scenario person. Well, I think TAC is going to help you out tremendously there. And uh, getting that uh, three pin, that adjustable sight, that's going to help you out tremendously, especially on your hunt, because, you know, a fixed pin is great, especially for us here on the, you know, East Coast, because we don't do a lot of spot and stalking. And, you know, don't get me wrong, an adjustable pin's good here too, but you know, that 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 yard, you're not shooting much farther than 50 yards in the woods unless you're in a very, you know, a set of woods that you've, I don't know, pruned and, you know, addressed of that from your tree stand because most shots from a tree stand, unless you're in a field, are going to be 40 yards and under. So it's, uh, 
being able to get that three pin adjustable, that adjustable part of it's going to be awesome. So I, I'm curious to hear about how tack goes. I, I can't wait to have you back on one to hear about your hunt, <laughs> but then two to hear about tack, you know, we, you know, yeah. so it's going to be good. <laughs> it, it is interesting. Like, um, you know, aside from assisting my husband on his hunts, um, which Washington Washington hunting is going to be very different than what we're experiencing in Nevada. And um, Aaron, like I said, is a very, very, very talented and experienced hunter. And he also hunts Montana a lot. His mom's side of the family is from Montana. So he usually puts in for tags there too. So um, I've been along on, you know, mule, mule deer buck hunts with him there too, you know, in like negative 20 degree weather uh, during rifle season. That's crazy stuff. But um there you're not backpacking in miles and miles. I mean, you're, you're doing the driving along the back roads, along the, the property that you have permission to hunt. And then you're looking and then you're getting out and then you're climbing through fences. You're going up through a little bit of rocks and then you're taking your shot. Right. So um, you don't have to go incredibly far. You are not allowed to shoot from the road just to clarify that. And that's the same in Washington and in Nevada. I think that's probably like that in most States. You cannot do legit road hunting, but a lot of people like to do their glassing and stuff from the road and then park and kind of sneak in. If they see that, see there's some activity they want to get a closer look at. Um, So Aaron has a lot of experience there, but he's never done total archery challenge, any of that stuff. So like this is, uh, we've never attended any of that stuff. So I'm kind of diving into some stuff that uh, is very unknown. And um, Aaron actually had the archery tag that I got this year. He had it last year. And so he was able to get a lot of insight, um, which is helpful for us this year. And he has that same tag for rifle, like a month later than me, he got that tag again this year, but, um, for rifle. Okay. And so that's going to be really helpful. He had some frustrations there with, with, uh, water. And then there was a really crazy, quite scary thunderstorm that actually came through while he was up there. And we can see those mountains from our house. And I'm just sitting here with our boys and like, it's just like booming thunder, like gale force winds. And I'm like, your dad is up there's somewhere, hopefully his tent is still <laughs> wherever he put it. And he, he's okay. He had his in reach and I didn't hear anything from him. And he finally texted, he's like tucked in for the night and it's like eight o'clock at night. And I'm like, it's probably soaking wet. But um, yeah. so we, we backpacked in there quite a bit last summer. And then with me being a Nevada Department of Wildlife volunteer, I, I signed up for some wildlife population studies that need to happen in those mountains. And so I'm also going to double that up with using that for scout time Perfect. while I'm back in there. So I've been trying to kind of think of some other reasons to make sure I get some extra time in there, but we like to mess around back in there just for fun anyway. And we like to fish and hike and backpack and camp and do all the stuff. So, um, but that's been helpful and e-scouting is going to be a big part. Um, I mean, I can't imagine how hunters did all this before the technology era of being able to look up units and looking up property boundaries and being able to save, you know, water sources. And like, it's really revolutionized uh, what hunting is and the accessibility of it. Um, And it really eliminates that whole ignorance thing that some people might claim. I didn't know. Well, there's lots of opportunities for you to know if you did the time to do your homework but um, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, like I said, I've been brewing on this for a lot of years and have helped Aaron a lot and me being biology and vet med and helping assist in more surgeries than I could ever count. And, you know, orthopedic surgeries too, not just like your typical spay and neuter. I worked at some places that did some pretty crazy stuff, but um, 
I have a lot of those, that kind of experience too. And so blood and guts don't bother me. And unfortunately I've helped with more euthanasias than I can count too. So sending animals over the rainbow bridge, um, is something that, you know, I've seen it as an act of compassion in my previous career. Um, and that's been something really important for me to process for hunting because uh, that's one of my rules and is that whatever we take, we eat. Yes. No, that's, that's good. That's one of the things too, is that I won't ever, you won't ever hear me say I killed an animal um, because to me in my brain and how I am, Killing is something reserved for usually self-defense. It's got a, a more aggressive manner associated with that word. Um, Cain killed Abel, right? Yeah. However, if you're harvesting something, there's a level of respect there, and that shows the intention of usage. Yeah. So um, just for, you know, I don't judge people that do use that terminology, and I hear it all of the time because a lot of people do use those words, but... Uh, you won't hear me say that because that doesn't tie in with, with why um, I chose to hunt. Yeah. I chose to hunt because uh, I'm looking at our, our freezer and poor Aaron has, has uh, not to anyone's fault, but like he just Washington state got really weird with their tags, um, their game management up there. Sorry if anyone's listening, but this will offend, but the Washington state game management needs some work. Yeah. It does. Um, they're handing out spike tags like crazy, um, cow tags like crazy, but the elk populations are actually not out of control. So the bull elk are getting old and dying off. And then cow and spike are being taken. Okay. And um, it's concerning to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, there are not many spikes left, yet they keep handing out more tags for them and no one's getting branch antler bull tags. Aaron has not drawn a branch antler bull tag up there in... 20 something years, 25 years. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. Long time. Yeah. So there, there's something screwy going on there. So, um, we haven't had, and you know, like I said, he puts in for Montana too. So we've gotten, gotten deer from there. We've gotten deer from Washington and now we're in Nevada and we're Nevada residents. So he's going to still keep putting, he has, they kept all of his points. He has so many points up in Washington for moose and all kinds of stuff. So he'll keep putting in up there, but we'll keep doing Montana and Nevada but um, our freezer is empty as far as wild game goes. So I know that there are plenty of people that are choosing to not fill their tags this year because of, you know, population discussions. And me having my background that I do in wildlife management is definitely something I've considered. But, you know, if we get back in there and it looks like we just keep finding deer carcasses, I mean, okay, we'll make a, a judgment call if we need to as yeah. far as deciding that filling a tag is a good idea or not. Um, but if we get back in there and we're seeing multiple bucks, everyone's looking healthy and we're not coming across like tons and tons of deer carcasses, you know, like, yeah. cause Nevada, you know, Nevada game, I did ask them back in March, you know, I have a friend that helps Utah and they do deer feeding and stuff. So I was asking, you know, our Nevada branch here, you know, are you guys feeding deer? Oh no, we think, you know, everything's fine. You know, and now I'm seeing the news articles come out from the biologists in the last week saying, oh, the Nevada deer population really took a hit and like our County is one of them because we had such a crazy snowpack. It's just so much snow and it was constant. We had standing snow at our house from the last week of October until the second or third week of April, oh, wow. third week of April, I think. 
Yeah, that's hard on the animals because if they can't yeah. get to food, then I mean they're going to starve to death. And right, winter's and so, already difficult, so they need to eat more. So wow, exactly. Um, and they winter up high, you know. Uh, from what I understand, I mean, our area has quite a few deer in it that stay down low too because it gets spoiled around the the yards with all of their ornamental things. But, um, you know, it is something to consider. And in some areas they really have been hit. And if you're someone that has a freezer full of meat and you don't need to punch your tag, I know that there were some, uh, outdoor companies that were, are doing a giveaway. If people are going to send them their tags that are unpunched, you get put in a giveaway. That's a pretty extravagant giveaway. And I can't recall who it is right now, but it's like their way of encouraging people to not fill their tags if they don't need to. Yeah. Um, but so I, you know, that's in the back of my mind too, but part of my reason for wanting to hunt is that, uh, Aaron has had a hard time drawing tags for whatever reason. And I just finally told him like, Hey, like if there's two of us in one house putting in for tags, like our chances of us getting some meat into our freezer just doubled. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good right? way of looking at it. And so, um, that's what I figure. That's part of my responsibility. And also it's like, if we don't teach the next generation, about hunting, like it is going to literally die out. Um, the pandemic was a huge wake up call for a lot of people, me included, as far as food source, I had gotten spoiled with having <laughs> our wild range grass fed meat in our freezer. Um, but we do need to become more independent. And that's part of the reason us getting the property that we got. It's got always all kinds of ways for us to have our own food. I've got chickens last year, never had chickens before. So we're learning and we're becoming more independent and um, I'm sorry, we're not going to eat lab grown meat at our house. So oh, that's, that's probably one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard of. Do. Like it's very real. Yeah. It's very concerning from a biological level. Like from my research side, it's extremely concerning um, because we don't know what the long-term effects of that are just like a lot of medications and other things. Yeah. Um, we don't know what the long-term effects are and why would you start introducing that to the public? And it's not more green. Um, it takes a lot of energy in those labs to grow that stuff. And what are they feeding the fake meat? I have all kinds of questions. Right. I used to do research. I used to do genetic research, laboratory stuff. So it's just the way that my brain works. I, I want to be teaching my kids the right way to do things. Our youngest is very interested in hunting and fishing. Um, he can't wait to be old enough to do his hunter's ed and get to put in for his youth tags and stuff. And um, that's just how we're doing it. He started archery, archery about two months before me. So he goes out with his bow and he practices and um, it's just, it's important, you know, and, and I am someone that I'm thin blooded native American for sure. My uncles carry cards, but you know, I'm pretty thin in there, but I do feel there is something to be said for still wanting to feel connected to land, feeling connected to nature. Yeah. And there is something of just being out in the middle of nowhere where you have not seen another person heard anything. I get very annoyed when I'm out in wilderness and I hear like a helicopter or a plane go over. It's just like have to make the rage go back inside because you're like <laughs> supposed to be in nature. <laughs> Nature's relaxing. Just ignore the fact that a freaking plane is <laughs> flying over you right now. But, um, you know, it's. It's important to be connected to the land, understand where our food came from, teach our kids to understand where our food came from. Um, I bought a foraging book for Nevada last summer. Best like 15 bucks I ever spent. Um, there's so many things that we look out in the yard. We're like weed, weed, weed. Well, turns out you can eat that entire plant as long as you were not a ding dong and didn't dump Roundup in your yard the last five years. Yep. You shouldn't be able to eat that, you know. And so um, 
there are a lot of things that like we think there's no food around us and a lot of people think oh, crap hits the fan and you're out in the desert and like the desert has tons of food in it yeah you just have to know about it <laughs> yeah. it's just like everywhere and we've kind of lost touch with that reality of um being able to forage you know let alone the homesteading tricks like water glassing your eggs i didn't know what that was before a year and a half ago i'm like water what <laughs> 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 what are you doing to those eggs? But uh, there, there's ways that like we just lost contact connection with it. And it only took two generations yep. for that information and that knowledge to be gone. We, um, we were just talking this weekend, uh, two generations, you know, two generations ago, people were using outhouses. Yep. And here that's you, wild, isn't it? It is. And look at where we're at, you know, sure that it is great to have the luxuries that we have created as a society but two generations ago you know like my parents ultimately really my parents like they grew up at the you know they kind of came in at the tail end of it but of having indoor plumbing and having a bathroom indoors but my mm -hmm. grandparents they had an outhouse and it's wild yeah. to me that that was only two generations ago but as a society you know, you look at the younger generations and they're like, oh, what an outhouse. They had to use the bathroom outside. Like, you know, yeah. and uh, we're so far removed yeah. from so much. And you know what? That's, I think this is like a really good stopping point. It's a terrible stopping point, but it's a really good stopping point to allude to the next episode. And when we get you back on, we're going to talk about some of your homesteading as well, because that is something that I've noticed a lot on your Instagram as well. And like we were discussing some water issues that you were experiencing and things like that. And so like, I think this is where we'll stop today's episode, but here in a few weeks, um, after you've gone on your hunt, we're going to get you back on here. We have to, there's so much like it, just talking with you is fun and it's like, it's enjoyable and there we're so like-minded in so many ways that, and we have like, you know, the whole research thing, uh, you know, that's you, you do you, I'm going to just go, <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, like we'll get you back on and we're going to, we're really going to dive into some of this uh, even more. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that sounds great. You'll have to have April on too, so that both the researching artists can gang up on you. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. So as, as of this recording, April is yet to grace my podcast and she feels that nobody wants to hear her talk and nobody wants to hear I her story. Hear her talk. And I'm like, you have a very, amazing story coming into hunting and you're very personable um i won't tell people that you beat me when the cameras aren't rolling you know <laughs> but uh no you should tell her say that charity voted that you come on even if she joins you on yeah. your side and you can tell her to come in for my part too uh, you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna I'll, I'll get her on here and uh I'll figure out a way if it's just a check audio for me but i'll have her here in the studio We'll uh, secretly mic her up and uh, get her on. So it'll be great. And then from yeah, one artist and research specialist to another, y'all can uh, y'all can take over and have a podcast and I'll just observe. <laughs> we'll just nerd out. Yeah. yeah. That sounds good. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, I really appreciate it a lot. And I was kind of laughing. I told a couple of my friends that um, I asked some of them, because some, some of them have been on, you know, more, probably more, 
hunting podcasting account. And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I have no idea like what, what value I'll have to bring. They're like, well, he wouldn't have asked you. Yeah, <laughs> no. I was the- like, I don't know. I was like, he's just his editing guy's going to have to cut out a ton of laughing and all kinds of other crazy stuff. I don't know. It could no, work out. Makes you <laughs> like, you're very relatable. And that's one thing. Like um, when we started the podcast, we weren't going to be like, all right, this is a male driven podcast. No, this is a all inclusive, all encompassing. And you're a lady you're a new to bow hunting and you're new to a hunter so i want to hear what you your thoughts are and what you've experienced because there are probably more people out there just like you that have questions and you know hopefully they get led to this podcast and they can hear you talk about the things that you are you know not necessarily facing in a struggle scenario but things that you're looking at that you are you're experiencing and, you know, and same thing with like having Andrea and Bren and Felicia and, uh, I guess, uh, Morgan, um, I've had quite a few ladies come on and it's because I do want their perspective for our listeners. And I have, I have guys come on as well. And, you know, some of them are experienced, some of them are new to hunting and that's okay. I want the whole gamut. I want everybody to feel like if they listen to this podcast, there's something for everybody. Yeah, I love that. And I've, I've really been um, drawn to the podcast where they've had females on lately. And obviously that's because that's what I'm searching for right now yeah. is someone that's relatable because, you know, women by the nature that God made us are more nurturing, you know, we're more empathic and have just some different personality things going on. So that took a lot of, um, thinking and sorting out in my brain to get my head wrapped around the whole hunting thing. And then I think about my aunt, that's like an Okie from Oklahoma and like probably going out as like a kid, my six-year-old age and like snapping chicken necks. It's like, well, gotta eat yeah. <laughs> unless you're going to live on salad. You know, it's like, <laughs> you have to, you have to man up. And that was, is part of it is that um, it's really interesting to, cause I didn't grow up around really knowing female hunters, but um that's why it's been extra fascinating is that that's the one thing that social media has opened up for me is just to see other women doing it. Um, not the glamorous aspect of it and, you know, having makeup done and and all of those things that doesn't matter to me, but just seeing moms making time who have little kids that are figuring it out and either and taking their kids out there with them on the bear hunt or whatever they're up to. Um, that's, what's been really inspiring to me is to go, okay, these aren't just like single or kidless people that are making time for hunting. Like these are people that have kids that are incorporating their kids into hunting and carving this out as part of their family time and how important that is. And I love that you guys do that with your kids. Yeah. And so that's been important to me and to hear it from other women's perspective, especially moms. I've been really, really drawn to that um, to understand how you balance all the things because, um, there's another another gal that I follow on Instagram too, and her name's Rachel. And like they're taking their kids out on hunts all the time. Lisa Endicott from the Bow Rack, like she did a girls only uh, bear archery trip with her daughter and her granddaughter, who her granddaughter is about my little guy's age. And they did a girls only trip. And like it's it is important because uh, there are a lot of women hunters coming out of the scene right now. I can't say what everyone's why is, you know. Like you talk about, you know, what's your why, and we went into what mine was, but um you can't speak on everyone's. We don't know what everyone's why is, but we can see that it's becoming more acknowledgeable, more normalized. And it's really refreshing because women are seen or supposed to be seen as the loving ones maintaining the home. Well, you know what? 
women can also be the ones helping bring the food home. Yeah. And um, I heard that stat the other day. I don't know if it's from one of your guests or not. It's just that is if kids are in a home where the mom hunts, it's most likely that the kids are going to end up hunting too. Yeah. It's very unusual to have a home where a mother hunts that the kids do not hunt and don't grow up to hunt. Yeah. And that really stuck with me too. So thanks for having me yeah. on. And um, I, I love listening to your podcast. I love listening to the people that you have on. And I love that you have a mix of people that maybe, you know, have some sort of following. And then you have just as many people on that. No, maybe nobody's ever heard of them. And, and uh, I, it's a perfect balance. It's a really, yeah. really good balance because it keeps it, it does literally keep it real. Yeah. Um, keeps the perspectives real keeps the egos out of the picture, you know, and it just, uh, it, it's very raw and I appreciate it a lot. So, well, I appreciate that. And, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to keep it relatable to as many people as possible. And I hope that each guest that we do bring on adds value to our listeners. And I think so far that's been the case. And that even tonight, this has been, there's plenty of nuggets in here that you went over that I'm like, you know, you wouldn't think that you're new to archery and you're new to hunting, but like just the way that you're speaking and the different things that you you're overcoming as a new archer. And it's amazing. Like just the little nuggets. And so I'm sure whoever listens to this, it's going to be great. And so, um, they're not five minutes in a hit skip. Yeah, no, no <laughs> well, boys. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so if uh, if any of the uh, listeners wanted to reach out to you there on social media, it's Ghost Town Metalworks, correct? And then Ghost Town Fine Jewelry. Yeah, and that's my main one. Um, if you want to reach out to me uh, as far as hunting, outdoor stuff, whatever, um, I mean, follow both accounts if you want to have all of the things. But Ghost Town Fine Jewelry is where I feature most of my experiences with kind of getting into this hunting realm and getting into archery. But you also get to see my homesteading stuff, and it's just screwing around in the outdoors um, as, as well as as the jewelry stuff. So um, I've kind of been in that account a little bit more lately just because that's where my headspace is right now, yeah. just mentally getting prepared for my hunt and stuff. I've, I've not been tending to ghost town model works probably like quite like she deserves she does get posts i'll just dual post between the two <laughs> and then if anyone's interested in um not only following what i'm doing for fitness but contributing to it i i have an account called gtmw so that stands for ghost town model works gtmw gets fit and the purpose of that account is to encourage other makers to stay in good shape because Artists by nature do a lot of sitting and they end up with a lot of back problems, carpal tunnel, obesity, all of these issues, um, circulation problems. And so I originally created that actually a few years ago to encourage other metalsmiths and other artists to exercise or get moving in for the day and then tag that account and I'd reshare it. And the idea is that it's supposed to encourage everyone. And there's been so many days that I haven't felt like working out. And then my friend Daisha, who's another metalsmith, will freaking tag me that she's out on a run. And I'm like, tag nabbit, Daisha. <laughs> trying to have a lazy day. <laughs> so I'll share it. But it encourages me to get going. And um, so that's kind of the purpose of the account. It's not necessarily to spotlight exactly what I'm doing. The feed will be that way because I don't often post on other people's behalf. Yeah. But um, as far as the stories go, that's the point is that I want to show what people are doing. Are they out paddle boarding? Are they doing yoga? Are they jogging? Are they doing CrossFit? Are they rucksacking? Are they hiking? Um, the rock climbing, you know, doing gymnastics, you know, just people, you know, jujitsu, people are into all kinds of stuff. And so that's been a fun place to to share that and follow along. So that's another good place to to find me also. 
if anyone has interest in getting their fitness journey started or just trying to encourage other people to get out and get moving. Um, you know, that account is there for that because I didn't want to keep like plastering both of my accounts with workout stuff constantly. I'll throw stuff in there occasionally because I do think that that does have an effect on people. It affects me when I am going through someone's stories and I saw that they got their lifting in for the day or whatever, it it does honestly push me to do better. Um, so I do think it's important and that's a good part of that community. And it's not to make you feel bad about yourself and feel like this person's so much better or whatever. If you have the right mindset, it should be encouraging and pushing you, not making you feel jealous or depressed. Yeah. If it makes you feel either one of those things, you need to check your headspace and then figure it out. Fair enough. Fair enough. Self-love. And then if you want to see um, my work in person, the Bow Rack in Springfield, Oregon is the place. Uh, Lisa does not have my stuff listed in their eBay shop. Jewelry is kind of a pain to list. I'm not going to lie. But she will answer your DMs if you end up scrolling through their feed and see anything on there you like. Let her know. Um, like I said, most of my stuff is um, custom made. But if I do have anything in my shop, ghosttownmetalworks.com is where you can find that. Um, I tell my story there. I explain my business model about why I source my stones from the States. Um, and you can kind of check on it there. So I'm kind of a, a rock nerd and a rock snob. And whatever I'm into, I'm super into it. And I learn everything about it. So you will be subjected to such things. That's You're awesome. Welcome. That is so awesome. <laughs> Well, Charity, we definitely appreciate having you on. And to all of our listeners, keep hunting and keep doing what God calls you to do. Thank you for listening to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. If you'd like to follow, you can find Stephen on Instagram at Stephen Hunt Day and Facebook at Stephen Robbins HD. If you'd like to reach Stephen, you can email him at stephen.huntingday at gmail.com. 